You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. So buckle up because I have a wild ride for you this week. I had the pleasure of sitting down with free diver and visual artist Nina McGowan. And what attracted me to Nina's story, aside from my totally geeky love for sports like free diving, is that she really didn't get into the sport until her late 40s. And she started racking up national records pretty much out of the gate. And then, shortly after she turned 50, she secured a world record for her age division with a dive of 43 meters, which is just over 140 feet for those of us in the U.S., that involved holding her breath for 2 minutes and 10 seconds. And she was just getting started. Last month, Nina set three new national records, including 46 meters or 151 feet in the constant weight no fins division, which as it sounds, requires divers to use only their own muscle strength to propel themselves downward and back up again. And she went 58 meters or 190 feet in the free immersion division, which is very similar to the no fins division, but the free diver can pull on a guide rope to descend and ascend. That world record that she set at the world championships in Turkey last year currently stands unchallenged. And in an email to me just a couple of days ago, Nina told me she is currently hoping to push to 60 meters or a mind-boggling 197 feet. More remarkably, she accomplished all of this while also navigating her menopause transition, which was slowly stealing her mojo to do kind of anything, until she found a doctor who helped her dial in a hormone therapy routine that, in her words, got her tail wagging again. And boy, did it. We talk all about that and more during this conversation. I also want to note that Nina is an artist first. Freediving is something that she does to inform her artwork, which currently addresses the overwhelm that people feel regarding the scale of climate change by rescaling aspects of it to the human body. Uh, she performs on stage, she makes sculptures, she speaks publicly on these topics, and she is a fascinating person to talk to. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. Okay, before we get to it, as always, check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Feisty Menopause. Sign up for my free weekly menopause blog at feistymenopause.com. While you're there, check out our Level Up membership, which has really grown into something special. We get on Zoom and we dive deep into our issues and we help each other through stuff. And of course, we get one-on-one -on -one time with awesome guests like Dr. Carla DiGirolamo. So check that out while you're at feistymenopause.com. And thanks so much, as always, for your continued great reviews and five-star ratings that continue to come in. They really help me continue to get great guests, and I appreciate them. Finally, I want to give a quick thanks to Cool Jams for their support of the show. We get a lot of questions about the best moisture-wicking sleepwear and sheets, uh, especially at this time of life when everything is haywire, and Cool Jams is 100% it. I appreciate their support. If you're interested in checking them out, you'll find the info and discount codes in the show notes. Okay, enough of me. Let's have a few words about those awesome sponsors and get on with the show. 
Okay, Nina, we're gonna pretend that any of that ever happened. <laughs> some audio, we had some issues. Um, but we are here. You are on the other side of the world from me in what looks like um a lovely cabana by a pool. What like in where are you? Uh I'm in the Philippines. I'm in uh Panglao, which is um a little island off Bohol, and I've never been to Asia before, so this is my first time either. here. No, and uh, I'm in the future, so you're in you're in my past, which was this morning. So this is now Thursday night, and I'm into my science fiction a lot, which has been a big influence on me. I couldn't go to space, so going underwater was the next best thing, you know. Yeah, the pattern of my life. So, anyway, science fiction. Um, yeah, I'm in the Philippines and it's 30 odd degrees, and I'm on the coast and I'm staying at a free diving training camp here. And I live here in this, um, in this place behind me is the pool, and then just beyond that is the beach and the boats where we take us out to the training site. Within five, 10 minutes, we can get 160 meters depth. Wow. And yeah. Yeah, it's so convenient. It makes everything so easy. So you can just concentrate on on your training. Um I'm a free diver. I suppose I've preempted. Yeah, no, no, no. We like like we'll we'll get into all of that. And um I, I before we before we get into all that, let's do the way back machine. Speaking of time travel. Um yeah. You know, I, as someone who's had my own evolution of self and came into sport later in life myself, I love a good evolution story. And from everything I've read and heard, you definitely have this lovely evolution story. Um, you put up a really beautiful Instagram post last summer of you dancing at the bottom of the sea, which I'm hoping to use for our show tile because it's incredible. And I, I just want to like, set the scene with that because he said when the dance scene kicked off in 1992 in Dublin I was 20 and painfully shy I was awkward and nervous making conversations so much of that I reckon I made other people uncomfortable around me as well that one place I felt totally comfortable was on the dance floor no small talk no weird chit chat just body exploring space I feel like there's a lot of overlap between freedom of dancing and being underwater and I'd love you to take us back a bit to that time of your life in Dublin like I heard that there was dancing, but also depression. And, you know, sometimes those things go hand in hand. <laughs> um, yeah, well, uh, I, music has just always been so powerful for me. And I suppose if, if I, if I had been given a choice to come to, into this body in any period of time I think I probably might have chosen to have been born to experience that the dance revolution in the early 90s it was just incredible um I mean I, th I think everybody has their coming of age kind of you know it's a really high point moment but I think so much shifted in the culture uh and there were so many possibilities and and music and sound and dancing together with in front of these massive sound systems and just using eye contact and bodily expression to communicate outside of the normal codes and strictures of society was just felt like the most liberating thing and that we were creating a new world and a new society. Um, yeah, so I used to describe the dance floor as something akin to the holodeck from Star Trek. 
you know, you become between these four pillars of uh, of space. And once you were within the metronome of the sound, and we're talking about four four beats here, it was all house music. It came out of Detroit and Chicago, right? Yeah. In the mid eighties, and it got it got it hit Manchester. And they had had, you know, the UK had had a big, long history of, um, well, first of all, the Jamaican sound systems, the first immigrants to the UK in the 60s and 50s. They kept up their cultural thing, then right through Northern Seoul, which was another US import, um, the, the B-sides of Motown and Seoul music. Um, so they, they, in the north of England, right through the 70s, just before punk, they came together in dance halls and just it was a, a really athletic thing. So it was actually people ask me, do you, do you have an athlete background? And I'd have to say that dancing in those big nightclubs and the things that predated the nightclubs, there were big halls in Dublin. There was makeshift spaces with big sound systems it was um, probably formative in building muscle. <laughs> I got, yeah, but <laughs> that sounds a little bit roundabout, but Absolutely, the dance floor, you could be transported um, and your body would tell you what way it wanted to move after a certain amount of time. You were so free. There was, um, you know, everybody was together and there was a moving energy. It was, it was really special. And and that then were you also, it was a special time, but I, it sounded like there was also some internal tumult, like, like that maybe... Um, I thought I heard that you had had some depression when you were on Dr. Newsom's yeah. podcast. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And um, Celine, do you know, I think it was really down to me being a fussy eater as a kid. I used to live on white bread and salad cream sandwiches, which is really picklish and sour. That's what we have in Ireland. And I would just layer up these. I was just super fussy. Um, and I think it was due to low hydrochloric acid when I look back. I was trying to get that sour vinegar um to to help with my stomach acid but anyway i subsisted for years and i think i just did it to myself i gave myself ibs cramps some of my earliest memories was being taken to the hospital in the middle of the night as a three-year-old with these unbelievable and uh stomach cramps so i'm convinced that the microbiome um and the whole connected gut mind connection i mean obviously in your early 20s you're out drinking booze and all these that's full of wheat and it was just it really compromised my moods and perhaps it was the contrast between sometimes feeling so low and then the highs of being okay there was a certain amount of drugs taken but never really that wasn't the key point for me it was being massaged by the, the sound systems being completely immersed by this fantastic music and the energy that was driving it. But yeah, the depression, I mean, I've never really located it. Like it all changed much later on in my life when I decided to take radical control of my hurt, my health and to to try to fix myself. When was so, that? Um, well, aged 40. So I just, I mean, I, I had stayed in Dublin right through my 20s and 30s. And Dublin is a great party town and you're actually out drinking with your friends the whole time. By the time I was 40, I was like, hey, this has been a great crack, but I think I've had enough. I'm just bored with it at this stage. I'm going to try something different. So it was my 40th birthday present to myself, I guess, um, was to to shift everything. I, I, I suppose I, I've begun to find that my physical... Um, 
acuity or whatever it was 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 lessening and i realized how much i valued my body as a perceiving tool and what it was i had to do to hone that in and um make it the best instrument for being a medium for this world because um the, the just that the, the the free things in life really are the best your health you know um and i i, I got into uh, the idea of biohacking or like really becoming responsible in every sense for how you interpret the world you know so i changed my diet i found that did incredible things for me i took up bikram yoga which was key actually in new york i started in 2011 and i've been doing it three times a week at least ever since i managed a yoga studio um yeah maybe i'm i'm jumping ahead here but the you know it's 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 hard to say what the depression was but looking back i'm sure it was diet related so you moved to New York? No, I was there with my band. I played in a band. Oh. <laughs> and we were, yeah, but, but yeah, I've got all kinds of strings to my bow. <laughs> I actually can, I can play the cello a little bit. I used to play it in a jazz club in, in the early 2000s in Dublin with a delay pedal. Put the microphone into the F-hole and just, you just like hope for the best that you're making the right sound. You get away with all sounds of crack in Ireland in these, in these clubs and pubs. But um. Yeah, my band's made up of artists, um, myself and three others, and uh, we were sh- we were playing uh, in an art gallery and in the Lower East Side, and was there for six weeks, and it was just so freaking hot. I had to find a way to adapt and fast track to the heat, so I went into a Bikram studio, um, on West Twenty Third, just at the Flatiron Building there, Bikram Yoga NYC, and I stayed there for a month, and I just went, Jesus, this is actually. You know, moving the body, the fascia, they say that memories and trauma is stored in the fascia. And when you're warmed up, you get a deeper stretch and you, I think you can evaporate so much of this mental stress that's stored around the body. So that, along with refining the diet down, I mean, obviously taking out um, sugars, stop, stopping drinking, um, stopping smoking. I basically stopped drinking because I said, okay, I have to stop smoking. I couldn't play bass. They I, often go hand in hand. <laughs> I, got, I got a weird injury on my, my arm and the doctor said, if, if you continue smoking, that was so close to your ligaments, you're not going to regain, you won't be able to play. And I said, well, fuck this, playing the bass again, which is a, a visceral instrument. You know, when you're playing away and you're getting the feedback of the sound, you can actually massage yourself and then lose yourself in the moment. Flow states is really interesting to me and important. So really it was the cultivation of all these things I held so dear. Shivers from music. Do you ever get shivers when you listen to music moving down your back? And it's just, I think you can connect into your own nervous system and soothe yourself in the most unique ways and um, and then use this energy for whatever. It just makes life worth living. So the cultivation of these experiences was really what I um, what I decided I wanted to focus on in my forties, and then I suppose my artwork is a research of this soma aesthetics, the aesthetics of somatic experiencing, and using the body as your primary interpretation tool. So 
you know, it's been uh, a long process of investigation into various substances, either through feeling music viscerally to going underwater to a space that's completely empty of any of our cultural detritus or language um, to get a reset, you know, in a lot of ways. Where does the water come in? Where does the water come in? The water comes in to... Into your life. Like, when do you discover it? Well, I was I was thrown into swimming pools when I was a baby before I learned how to walk. So I think that the tactile experience of water predates my language formation. So I don't have ideas or words to explain how I feel about water. I think maybe I felt it like a safe place because I swam before I walked and maybe I associate the land with um, falling over, knocking my knees as I learned to walk and the water had none of these. Um, And uh, being held, you know, and just feeling safe. So when I look down into the water, I think I'm flying. Some other people might think they feel scared or... uh, And also my ability to make sound go away by going underwater. I make I can control my environment. So it was like an escape. It's always been a great escape. And holding my breath makes sound go away as well. You you can you can you can change everything through the water. So yeah, so I learned how to swim. My dad was a scuba diver in the early 60s. My house was full of items that he had brought up from wrecks. I was obsessed with the Titanic since the time I was four or five. My parents friends would come over and they go Nina what do you want to be when you grow up and I'd say an underwater archaeologist I was fascinated with the idea that you could circumvent history by going underwater things could live forever underwater there was places still held from 1912 which had been untouched by man and they were intact maybe you could go back in time so we've got this fluidity of time and all these these elements moving around and so it a fascination with water has held with me all my life. I swam breaststroke from my school then, um, just catching the water. Something, but I, I have to say, I lost touch with it. Once the dance floors came in, I swapped around the experience. And uh, when did you I try Scooby yourself? Well, when I finished art college, I was 29. I was traveling through Central America. It was my first time in Central America. I used this water thing as my escape plan as well. (laughs) So I got to Utila in Honduras. I was there with my sister and an Italian friend. And she was saying, this is the cheapest place in the world that you can can get your paddy open water. So I did that. And of course, within the first three days, I decided you guys can go on. I'm going to stay here. Four months later, I came out at Paddy Divemaster. And I came back to Europe and I worked in Cyprus as a wreck tour guide of the Zenobia, which is this um, wow. massive ferry outside Larnaca Harbour. Yeah, I became a specialist of that and other various underwater um, Roman remains and archaeological. So actually I did. Like I was kind of saying, am I bound to this promise of being an artist to myself? You know, well, maybe I can do something else. I can go and live on an island and be a, a scuba diver for a while. So I did that. But I came back to Ireland and essentially it's expensive to dive in Ireland. It's very cold. You have to wear very heavy wetsuits, which are very cumbersome. And it just never happened. 
do you know what I mean? it was just like as much as I loved it it wasn't it was just not accessible um and it wasn't until 2019 when I was on a liveaboard in Egypt a dive holiday uh, that I I stuck five days on the end traveled up to this mythical town of Dahab which is the Arabic word for gold and it sits a hundred kilometers um north of Sharm el Sheikh on the Gulf of Aqaba overlooking Saudi Arabia in the distance and the blue hole is why Dahab really exists. Before that, it was a little Bedouin village, but there's a sinkhole a few kilometers north of the town that goes down to just over 100 meters, and it attracts scuba divers, free divers, to go in and experience depth and pressure in a confined space. It's literally a sinkhole um, with an archway of light at 55 meters. Actually, the Netflix film, The Deepest Breath, is just coming out, and it's about an Irish scuba, or sorry, uh, freediver and Dahab and you'll see everything to do with this this place I talk about the blue hole and the, the archway um, at 55 metres where yeah where oxygen becomes toxic anyway I, di- I digressed <laughs> well yeah you did and you didn't is that the first time you tried freediving yourself like when do you take the scuba off and like experience that yourself Um. well I suppose I've always snorkeled and, and really enjoyed the feeling of weightlessness on a breath hold in swimming pools. But I never formally heard of the discipline of freediving. So I did in 2019, I did five days and in, no, actually it was 2020. I get mixed up. I'm, I'm really, I'm so new to this sport. I was 47 or 48. Um, and I went back to Ireland and it was fascinating to me. Uh, just that, the wetsuits were so light that you could do this at all, that I could suspend everything and circumvent time in the same idea that I've always thought that time stops when you go underwater, wrecks get stuck. Actually, I can stop time. I can suspend belief around time passing somehow. It's just like a kind of a very captivating thought for me. Um, and I came back to Ireland and I thought, how can I get back out? to this place and experience more and develop this because I think I have an aptitude for it. Uh, and Did you go into the blue hole when you were in Egypt? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's literally just a swim off the beach. You, you, right, you like travel. Yeah. Deep. Okay. Yeah, but look, you're just floating over the top. You, you just swim off um, the, the, the beach and you just paddle out and within – it's it's right there. There's no distance before you are over this f- phenomenal natural um, feature. But you didn't free dive down. I did on the first course. Yeah, I think I probably did 20, 25 meters in the first few days on your, it's Ida too. So Ida is the, the, um, the agency that oversees the education. There's a couple of them, but that's the one I did. Yeah. And they take, yeah. So, it sounds it sounds scary, but everybody has this ability. We have this thing called the mammalian dive reflex, and it's the ability of all mammals to be able to hold their breath. And we have receptors just here. So when you take off your scuba mask, in fact, you, and cold water hits your face, mm-hmm. they're activated and you can hold your breath longer and you will get this heart rate lowering down. If you're instructed in the in the the method of 
calming yourself because you have to be completely relaxed. If you're all up tense, you're going to use up more oxygen. Um, so there's a whole system and peripheral uh, ideology, which includes the body being soft. So the yoga really helped me. Um, the, the eight years of of really heavy duty Bikram and and getting into meditation and finding out how to soothe myself, you know, in my own way, all came into play, just reconciled under this sport. And you know, it's wonderful, Celine. The um it it goes against any other kind of these adrenalized young man's sport team things where everybody's pumped up and they run around. It's an individual uh it's an individual sport that that age doesn't really come into it, but more trust in your own body. Um it plays such a major factor because it's a mental, it's a mental piece. Um, you are constantly pushing against what you think your limits are. And obviously we are trying to increase your breath hold, but you'll keep coming up against 50 meters, 52, 53 meters. And it's like, well, what is the limiting factor here? And you'll find that it's yourself and your own anxiety or your, your fears. And so you, you, you become your own um, therapist in a way through the medium of the water the whole thing there's so much poetry bound up in both the practice and um as i said the the, the peripheral exercises and uh and it, and i think there's a zeitgeist for that at the moment with um i i think of scuba coming to me and maybe of age during the period when the internet just started to get going and the whole idea was that external technology could facilitate um us going forward culturally or societally and now we're coming back to having more faith on our onboard software and and rediscovering ourselves and putting trust back into the individual i mean we can't control anything else in society, there's so much that's that's beyond our control. Coming back and, and focusing in on yourself um, is is a way to mitigate anxiety with the world. It's like, well, if, if I can calm my own self down and and make my own way through this very confusing uh, place, well, then I can feel okay. Yeah, I mean, yes, I think everyone resonates with that. I, I, I took us sort of on a little bit of a tangent because I wanted to understand that that space. But but let's go back to you know you're in your late forties, you're in Ireland. When do you, when do you really go all in and pursue this? You know, and where does not to add that to the question, but that's why we're here? Where does menopause enter sort of this picture? Because you're in your late forties, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you decided, because I know you have like records and you do this some like competitively, which is interesting because it doesn't sound like your pursuit is one of competition. So I'm just like, now I'm fascinated to like bring this together and be like, how did that happen? And you're in this time of life. Like, what does all this navigation look like? Well, there was a confluence of a perfect storm between COVID and I guess like my 40s started out great when I felt I was I was in control and I was doing my yoga and diet and all this. But like as it progressed and 46, 47 years of age, 
came upon me and I just felt there was some kind of creeping malaise. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Didn't know what the hell it was. And it was just through conversations with friends. They said, well, that's probably a menopausal thing. And I was like, what? Like, that's something that happens. I'm not, you know, I mean, I, I feel healthy. I feel strong. That should be in my mid fifties, but no. So after going through burning out one doctor who was trying to put me back on the antidepressants, I went, no, 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 no. There's something else going on. Um, and you know, I'm interested in supplements and stuff. And so I guess taking a, a horror, you know, like estrogen, but absolutely interested to try this. So I said, put me on the HRT. So I tried it out. And literally before I went to Egypt in 2020, it was the very end of 2020, um, I had planned to spend one month there. This was one year after I'd started free diving in December I had started the HRT patch. So I'd started on an estrogen and then taken progesterone for the second half of the month. Now I arrived in Egypt in January and the first couple of weeks, I have to tell you, were really bumpy as my body adjusted to progesterone and I felt really dislocated from myself. And then my flights all got cancelled home. So I got stuck in Egypt. I was on the HRT and I said, I'm going to, stay here i said i am expecting this to work so whether it was placebo or it actually did kick in my tail started wagging again a sense of adventure i said i'm gifting myself this one way or the other um okay i was legitimately stuck out there i had five disrupted flights europe got locked down there was fines for being um uh you had to go into what's called compulsory uh, quarantine at a cost of two grand a week or something. So it was just like, well, my work, I work as a film um, art department, production designer for film. So um, that had all been squashed. It was just gone. So my friends were saying, if you come back here, we're going to slap you. Because <laughs> there's nothing. There we are. So I went, right, I will. And I'm going to explore this. And I did. And by the time May came around, um, I found myself a coach in a Brazilian uh university professor who has a doctorate in physics who was on sabbatical out there, Raphael. And he was guiding me through the mechanics and the techniques of no fins freediving. I had transformed my breaststroke into going from vertical into the sorry, from the, the horizontal. Horizontal the to vertical. vertical, yep. And that was that's like a, a metaphor for the graph of my life. Um, I just I just thought I was really enjoying the anarchy of COVID. And sorry, people out there, some people had a distressing time of it, but I thought this is going to challenge everything. I think society is broken, and there's so much that we overlook in people and in everything that we do that perhaps we're going to get a reset. I was so hopeful, and as I said, it just coincided with me taking this HRT, and the whole thing just blossomed for me. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are stoked to be working with Hebes. 
Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's has unlocked the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research and creates better shoes for women's performance. Some of Hedda's special features include a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing on women's ankle bones, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and accommodate female toe shape, a more narrow and reductive heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take pressure off the Achilles, a rounded instep that creates a snug fit through the middle to match the curvature of a woman's foot, and supercritical foam and a PBEX plate in the midsole to keep our legs going when the going gets tough. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for your long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've been running in the Alma Tempos, and they are a pleasure to train in. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20, that's all caps, FEISTY20, for 20% off. Check it out today. We'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Musculoskeletal health is everything during menopause. Everyone knows how much I love Joint Health Plus from Prevenex, which has helped me get back to distance running after arthritic toes stopped me in my tracks. Now they have a product that has become my go-to for muscle strength and recovery, Muscle Health Plus. Muscle Health Plus contains all the key ingredients we talk about on this show, like creatine monohydrate, essential amino acids, and branched-chain amino acids, Plus, even more cutting-edge ingredients like HMB and estrogen that are scientifically shown to increase muscle growth, recovery, and strength. I use it every day during my early morning lifting sessions, and there's no question that it helps my power during those workouts and my recovery after. Plus, I love having everything I need from the best high-quality ingredients in one reasonably priced shake. I've also heard from fellow users who have had bloating or GI upset in the past from creatine that haven't had any of that with Muscle Health Plus. I make my shake with almond milk and espresso, but it's also good with ice cold water, which makes the flavor really pop. As always, you can get 15% off your first order with the code HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Prevenex.com. That's HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Prevenex.com. Do your muscles a favor and head on over and get some today. So tell me more about what you were working on with... um... Raphael, like what, what, is that where you decide that you're going to like set records or? Well, no, the competition thing, effectively, I shouldn't have been outside of the country during COVID and I got legitimately locked out. And I was like, I'm very worried. I was just a bit stressed about being away for so long and just like jettisoning everything and throwing caution to the wind to be in this place was a bit weird. So I looked up and it said, if you were an athlete representing your country and you're in training abroad, uh, you're sanctioned by the government to be allowed to, to be away. So I went, well, it's clear what I have to do is enter a competition for freediving. And I did. Now, when I noticed the the records were quite low and achievable for me, I said, I'll aim for that. And then that will, uh, I've got a completely new persona. Why not shift gears completely and test if I can be flexible enough to uh you know what i mean in my my day-to-day activities and and just experiment with this and try something completely new with my body trust my body again like to do something um and it was just a gradual process over a period of months that 
became more and more enriching and nourishing for me um and the meditative quality everything just sat so well so I, I was very very lucky to have had this opportunity the opportunity that covid and hrt together gave me yeah talk about turning 50 and securing that world record dive at 43 meters so um I was 49 setting the national records that summer in Egypt. And I just turned 49 in May. And again, my, my coach, Rafa, was saying to me, Nina, you know, CMAS, which is the governing body that uh, oversees my sport, have bracketed age groups. So I'll be passing. He said, once you're 50, effectively, you could set a new world record. The record is currently at 40 meters for no fins. And you're clearly um, capable of. Uh, of more than what I was doing. I think I set 34 meters or something at that point. So he said, why don't you keep your, your free diving going? And I just thought that was so bombastic and outrageous an idea that we could actually score a world record. And especially after only two years. And of course, there's this milestone of this 50th. And it's like, can I, how can I conceive of being 50? What does this mean? Well, I just went, fact that, let's um, concentrate on getting a world record instead. So that will take over, <laughs> that will eclipse um, the entire 50th. So I did that. And in October last year, I set a, the, the first logged, um, the deepest logged no fins dive for a woman aged 50 to 54 in the master's category. And it was just surreal. Everything about traveling to Turkey, which where it was held, being in the competition on the athlete's boat, um, using dancing to relax my body before I went out on my dive. What did you do? Uh, were you actually like dancing on the boat? <laughs> She's dancing. For those who... <laughs> like, what do you do? You want to get those hips moving? You want to reassure yourself that you're able and your happiest places in the water and on dance floors when your body is talking back to you when you're getting feedback and you're putting energy in in the in the source of some beautiful music that you emotionally connect to and you're allowing this travel all the way around to soothe your body what could be better and it's the same then you go into the water in my mind at the bottom of my when I go down and I take the tag. That's what we do in free diving. I have to come back and show I was there with the tag. Mentally, I play a tune. I turn it on and I have the rhythm then oh. back up. So so are you yeah. attached to the rope? I mean, when you look at... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's a line that goes down. So say I, I'd say drop the line to 50 meters. My target depth is 50. Yep. And uh, they drop. And at the bottom, there's a little plate with these tags on. It's probably <laughs> could have demonstrated here. But effectively... <laughs> I've got a lanyard with a leash and I'm leashed on. So, I mean, I'm, I'm conscious. I'm, I can see the line as I'm going down, but I'm also, there's a lanyard. So I can't go missing if anything happens. There's all kinds of um, safety protocols there. You know, they can lift up the line. There's people spotting you. There's a bottom camera. Uh, yeah. Like it's, it's super safe. And, and we've, we've done the dive over and over and over again. I mean, there's, there's a super amount of stress, in a competition, you're being watched, you know, this is a high stakes situation. And also there was, I had paid like 800 euro to, well, my husband, a friend was making, um, he was making an art film, an art, another artist friend 
about me, we decided we'd go have ours on DiveEye, which is this parallel camera that goes down. Oh. So I knew I could see this and I, I could hear it and I knew it was on me. And I had two dives. I, I, I set the record um, in my first dive and then I, it all went crazy in the Irish media. And I was doing radio interviews and all this kind of stuff the day before I was going to do a world record during the main competition when the DiveEye and everything was all set up. And I was just going to put an extra one meter on. So it was just a lot of stress. And I kind of made an absolute mess of that dive. But the I was gonna I was gonna outdo myself um by one meter, which didn't happen. Even though I'd been doing it for, say 47, 48 meters in training under no duress in a stress situation, you have to I guess compensate, you know. I can't imagine. For- like, you know, I mean I do like and most of the audience here does some sort of competition, whether it be a marathon or whatever. And the nerves to manage your nerves when yeah. you're not so, you know, so far underneath the water is and holding your breath and can try and control all that is is a, a mission in of itself. I cannot imagine putting what you're doing in that putting those two things together. Well, it's it's quite technical, you know yourself when you're in a sport. Like I've got a I've got a dive computer. I can actually I wear it here so I can hear it, and I've got alarms. I know how many strokes down before mm. I I do kind of these mouth fills and various. Um, I have to keep pressure in my mouth and eustachian tubes to allow me continually equalize as I go down deeper. There's a lot of skill in this kind of manipulation of your air spaces. Um, how much breath you can hold uh, and technique and speed and all these things. So you're kind of, and as I said, I've got this music and then I've got this rhythm thing. So you you kind of displace anxiety with these mm-hmm. other kind of factors because it's a technical dive. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, when you're starting off free diving, these things do come into play. This you, you kind of worry, I've never held my breath. How am I going to get back up? How deep down am I? You know, I can. Your sense of gravity is gone. You, you get dislocation, but you have to embrace all these. So it's a flexibility of mind, being malleable, being open to new experiences, not being afraid. Is key. Do you know? Uh, Do you practice into- just holding your breath? I mean, you held your breath for over two yeah, minutes. Yeah. 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 So we do CO2 tolerance tables and we do hypoxic tables. So I can I sit down on dry land and I've got a nap and um, it's like a timer. And basically I'll set it for like one minute 30. I hold my breath for one thirty. It'll give me one minute breathing time and it'll go back to one thirty. And then you get 50 seconds at short, more shorter intervals. And um, your body gets used to the CO2 buildup which the urge to breathe comes from. It's not the lack of oxygen in your system. But right. It's more this, uh, the, the, the want to exhale, for want of a better word, um, is, the, is the overriding sensation. And you'll get contractions. You'll get this involuntary abdominal diaphragm uh, contraction. So it's your body trying to, you know, intervene and go, what are you doing? Hold your breath, <laughs> Uh, but you get used to those and yoga and abdominal um, exercises to soften that because the body has to be yin. It has to be soft. It has to allow the pressure at depth 
and it can't resist, it can't be forceful. So you just surrender. It's this very yin thing of allowing it all, you know, moving your body in to allow the compression of your lungs, which will go down to the size of an orange or something at 40, 45 meters. Your blood shifts, your blood comes from your extremities, from your hands and your feet, and it'll go in to protect the vital organs. The spleen contracts, more red blood cells are, are produced. These are all the, the physiological side effects of this mammalian dive response. It's a fascinating thing. It's an ancient piece of software that is redundant in our day, but you can kick it off, as I said, by putting your face into cold water. Cold water, for some reason, sets it off. Um, to take off your mask if you're in the water and allow this to happen. If you've got a snorkel and then pace your breathing, you know, taking a, a breath cycle of three or four in your inhale and then a longer six to eight seconds. And if you do a minute or two minutes of this, you'll find your whole bodily system starting to shift down into a calmer state. And then you'll start pissing <laughs> into your wetsuit, which is another... I call it the parasympathetic piss way, the pathway. But you, everything relaxes, and and you know, um, yeah. Sorry, too much for some people. No, no, no. I mean, oh, triathletes oh, pee themselves and, all the time. You yeah, know, on their bike. Don't even worry about it. It's part of 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 succumbing to this. The the you, you're becoming like water in a lot of ways. You you just. And you can actually follow down, and I'm doing it now, I'm not pissing now, but I'm following down that sympathetic pathway into the lower abdominals in this sense of release and relaxation. And it's not something that you would, you only ever think about if you go take a, to, to urinate, to sit down and take a, actually, I was so stressed one time on a film set. This will tell you the connection. I was I was there and they were shooting and I didn't get a, a chance. I was like, oh my God, I'm dying to take a, a, a pee. When am I going to get a chance? I was looking around waiting and I was so many tasks to do. I was, anyway, I saw a moment, ran upstairs, ran into the cubicle, sat down, went, and I sat for a moment. I couldn't remember which chain of muscles I was supposed to use. I was that disassociated with stress from something as um, basic. <laughs> As as taking a pee, can you imagine? Anyway, so there's that. There's the contrast between relaxation, just in that, and it, I mean, you can self soothe in all kinds of ways in the breathing and access um, the nervous system that's normally a little bit outside of your conscious control. And these are aspects to free diving, which are really curious and interesting to me. Well, and it also, I keep thinking, you know, this is a time of life, and a lot of it is hormonally driven. But you know, I think sometimes it's also a collision of this time of life where a lot of women experience anxiety that they haven't experienced before. You know, I've experienced it as a mountain biker, like all of a sudden something that I've ridden a hundred times is like scary to me. Like I've not felt that anxiety before or fear. Um, and it's all these tools that you're talking about, like seem this so potentially transcendent, you know, into life, like to be able to, uh, be in that state of water, you know, to be in that state of, of relaxation is, it sounds very useful for lack of a better adjective. Yeah. I think primarily um, coming back to yourself and finding trust and a, 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 like a renewed relationship with yourself. 
that you know that whatever happens, you're going to be clever enough to get your around this. That you, you, we, when we've got to invest in our bodies as as we age, you'll see that things are changing. And this menopause thing is is like it's it's, it's a clear signal going right. You got to shift gears here. Something's got to change your mentality um, towards yourself. You to give yourself extra time, extra love, extra sleep. Uh, fuel yourself better, hydrate yourself better, uh, pay attention if you can, if you have the luxury of, of the time to do this. I mean, lucky me, I never got married or had kids. <laughs> so, I I mean, you know, those are the things, but I, I'm sure women are coming back. I have lots of my best buddies are coming around now. Their kids are getting older and stuff, and they're thinking, well, I do, I do, I can see I've half my life lived and and mm. um, I see I, I want to take more control of the next half so where do we start I mean maybe this is just the beginning and then I'll go back into more academic art making and or whatever but like the freediving for me was a kind of a, a, an experiential process research towards my artwork it's all connected but yeah, absolutely Celine look the finding ways to reduce stress in your life to reconnect with yourself you know, it's it's kind of like that metaphor when you're on the plane and the plane, the yeah, whatever's going to go down or something. And it's like you put your own breathing apparatus mm-hmm. on first and you tend to your kids. You cannot help other people or be of benefit to society or help your parents or your siblings mm. or, your friends or do good unless you look after yourself first. And this should be a moment all women should take to invest in themselves and go, right, I need to figure this out. Just spend a little bit of time to get your systems, optimize them. Uh, you know, and um, and then and look forward. Look, I think that we shouldn't look at aging with fear because I think we're entering into a whole new um, period of time where we're we're looking at aging as as not something that's necessarily going to make us frail that and especially using hormone replacement therapy the bioidentical stuff that I'm on it's everybody's own choice whether they want to go that way or not but if we have a whole generation of women going forward using this we're rewriting history we don't have to look at our parents our grandmothers and effectively the entire history of older women as our it's our legacy we can like we, we're open to rewriting this from here on in and that's the way i look at it this uh we've never had more control and optimism I think over this process, I think that the 21st century is going to see leaps in biological um, advances as well. I mean, wearables, AI. Uh, there's just, I think it's 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 open for. Um, it's a very positive time for us. I I I say that all the time on the show. Like I'm, you know, and I personally, I mean, and I've shared this before. I'm not on hormone therapy. I, I feel. Um, I feel great. I have my wearables and I keep, you know, keep track and I, I feel, but, but the control piece is the, is the big piece. Like, but I'm not anti it by any stretch. Like I know, like it's given many women's life back. If I had 
if I had low bone density, if I had thing anything that I felt like I needed or wanted it for, I hundred percent would take it. Like that, that should be every woman's choice. But we are all we are a hundred percent aging a thousand percent differently than the generations before us. So you know, like engaging life in such a different way, self awareness of oh, we can do something during this menopause, whether it is hormone therapy or changing things up or leaving. You know, like taking taking just that control of like, I am going to hit the weight room. I am going to get a control of the stress. I am going to take hormone therapy. I am going to take it, whatever it is. Um, we have that agency. And I think that that is very um, optimistic and promising for the future. A hundred percent. I'm a hundred percent with you. I, I feel yeah, very bright about that. I'm excited. I mean, I feel like I'm shape shifting now that I'm open to change that I'm, I'm not rigid you know, I'm not stuck in, I've, I've given myself license to experiment and it's, it's like, they say that your the hormones like becoming a teenager again. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of is in a lot of ways. Uh, we should really be like rejoicing in this. It's, you know, you get bored of the old ways. I've already lived 50 years or whatever. Now I'm 51. It's like, well, why can't we just change some stuff up and experiment here with some some other ways of being continue on. I can get stronger. Of course I can get stronger. I was doing compound exercises in the gym today and uh, moving around and, and really enjoying the feedback from all the muscle groups and my strength in turning and even just being on the bike, coming back and feeling strong, you know, it's just so empowering. As a lifelong runner and cyclist, I am stoked to announce that Tifosi Optics has come on as a podcast sponsor. The beauty of Tifosi sports glasses is that they hit all the marks. They are shatterproof polycarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance and complete eye protection. They stay put. They have little hydrophilic rubber nose pads that actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they stay secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in sauna-like conditions. No matter what sport you do, they have a shade for your activity, including tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, and just hanging out at the beach. And they are super reasonably well-priced, which is very hard to find in a sea of overpriced eyewear. And... They just look freaking rad. So head on over to tifosioptics.com and use the code FM, capital F, and capital M, like Feisty Menopause, number 20, FM20, to get 20% off your order today. I'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Good sleep. The one thing that sets you up for a great workout and a good day is quality sleep. We talk about it all the time here on the show, which is why I'm stoked to have Lagoon Sleep as a new sponsor. Because one of the most overlooked tools in a great sleep toolbox is the thing you literally rest your head on eight hours a night, your pillow. A quality pillow is everything. Otherwise, you end up tossing, turning, punching, and folding your pillow, waking up with neck pain, and all the stuff that happens when your pillow doesn't meet your personal comfort needs. Say hello to the most comfortable sleep you've ever had with Lagoon. They start you out with a two-minute personalized pillow quiz and then pair you with your perfect pillow. I got the Otter, a cooling adjustable pillow that is perfect for side sleepers who run warm at night like I do. It is a dream. It's fully adjustable, so I was able to get the perfect loft and support 
and the cooling feature is everything. As someone who turned into a furnace every evening before menopause, I appreciate that the otter is stuffed with shredded gel-infused memory foam, which instead of trapping heat from my neck and head, draws it away and dissipates it. It's truly delightful. I'm a good sleeper, and Otter's taken it to the next level with both support and cooling. Put my head down, good night, Irene. My aura ring confirms what little tossing and turning I was doing is gone. The beauty of the pillow quiz is you can get the perfect pillow that you need to and make your sleep the best sleep you can have. Go to lagoonsleep.com slash hit play and take the two minute quiz to find your perfect match and then use the code hit play all caps one word for 15% off your first purchase. Sweet dreams. What does your training look like? I mean, is there, is there a lot of gym work that into, that you do to complement what you do? Um, well, here at the moment, uh, I'm diving two days on, one day off. So I'll be out in the water. Um, yeah, so th that's the primary piece. But yoga, I will connect to my studio in Dublin, my Bikram studio at five o'clock. I'll do that a couple of times a week. I'll go, yeah, definitely strength training. So building up the muscles. Um, lats for me is a big thing. The pull down because my stroke is pushing the water flexibility so i'd be doing some yoga with um you know i need to kind of kick my my legs out to you know clam with my thighs together so abductors i have to be very careful not to strain them because i kind of nearly did my one of them in the other morning i was like Fucking, you need to stretch and warm up and pay careful attention before you go out and do these things because if i get an injury that's me having to to not do that and i have to flip to doing bifins or yeah else it's me out of the kind of water so uh, and again you know sleeping hydrating all these things are are uh are key and i will be doing yeah there's the, the co2 tolerance there is equalization drills so bringing up air uh yeah, we, we use a balloon out our nose to kind of inflate and allow the soft palate open and glottis closing exercises. So oh, compartmental wow. strengthening my various um, air spaces so that I can open and close them. Like, again, this is another involuntary thing like the soft palate. I have to keep that open while I'm doing my my deep dives in order to allow the, the air to go into these stations. Anybody that's on a plane, you know, when you need to... Yeah. Pop your Hold ears. your nose it's, and open your yeah, ears. Exactly. And, yeah, Same thing as that, only it's more advanced. And the, the deeper you go down, the less area you have to place with and the more careful you have to manage and pushing up your tongue into the back of your airspaces to keep pressing up. These kinds of, that's my dream. Have you ever had any blackouts or scary moments during all yeah. of this? Yeah. Yeah. I was pushing my max last september just before the world championships while i was training in cash in turkey with my coach out there and when you reach your hypoxic limit so your oxygen saturation goes down below whatever it is 90 80 percent the first um results when you come up to the buoy uh because you'll keep going as far as you can you get lmc loss of motor control so your body will shake um, and in a competition situation, we have a surface protocol. So you have to come up to the water 
hold on to the boy and there's a series of things you're supposed to say to show your compass mentors to the judges and prove that the dive was easy for you. So you'll hold up on the line. You have to keep your airways out of the, the space. And that shows that you've got control over your limbic system. And then you clear any facial equipment, nose clip, mask off. Um, you give the OK sign and you eyeball the judges and you go, I'm OK. So you have to have this sequence in the right order. Um, so we always try to get a, that, that will give you a white card and a clean dive. Um, if you go beyond your, your hypoxic limit, for me, I did in live on YouTube in front of my parents and my friends watching at home during the World Championships. I was going for that 44 meter dive and I blacked out at two meters just underneath. Now, there's there's uh, safety divers who chaperone you up from 40, 30, 20, 10. There's four of them there. The spotters on the top. It's there's. You'll just go out, you know, and they can see and they'll come in and they'll they'll bring you up and they'll just bring you around within a couple of seconds. You're totally fine. But you do. Um, the uh, the the ejector seat mentally engages. You go down through the tunnel of light and you th- when you black out, I think your body goes into that out of body experience. And it's like what people talk about when they're having near death experiences. And I, you come to and you're like some French guy snogging you. He's actually gives you a breath mouth to mouth. You're like, okay, this has all been straight, a little bit odd. But yeah, blackout. It's like, look, but look, it's like boxing. It's like getting a knockout in boxing. It's, it's, it happens. We obviously don't want it because it's a red card. It's not a clean dive. You don't get your records. You want to show that you're capable. But, you know, how do you mitigate for this stresses and various things, various situations when you're pushing your max in a competition situation? Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, it's totally. So speaking about competition situations, you are you are where you are because you're training for one. So your current girl goal is representing Ireland in the CMAS Freedive Outdoor World Championships. Is that correct? Like, what are we attempting next? Um. The CMAS is coming up pretty quick in August. To be honest, I might postpone. Well, I'm going to do. A, I'm going to do a competition here, and Ida. So the funny thing about free diving is that there's two agencies that oversee records. One is Ida, and one is CMAS. Um, my world record is in CMAS, but my Ida records are. Uh, it's just, I've had I had one national record which has recently been taken. <laughs> so the Irish chicks are catching up on the no fins. Um. So, yeah, I want to do a competition here probably in mid-August. That gives me six weeks training time, which is a good target because I've been here a while, but it's been slow getting into, um, getting bitten to bits by mosquitoes, man. <laughs> and jellyfish. There's all kinds of like weird uh, things you have to, and then, you know, you've moved to a new place. You've got a bit of jet lag. Anyway, all those things you get over, you get into your training. Um So I'll do a competition here in mid-August and then I might go visit a friend in Malaysia on the way back. She's a freediving school, dear friend of mine, Stella. And then I'll get back to Ireland for September and then I think I will do a CMAS competition in October in Greece. So, yeah, you know, it's wonderful to have a competition as a definite target because you go, oh shit, and you go, I've paid 500 euro, whatever it is, to enter this. I've invested in myself. I'm going to do this. You know, they're, they're great. To look, free diving and competitions is one thing. The confidence it's given me in other areas of my life, I can't quantify. It's 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 changed my sense of myself to have this 
achievement. And I've gone out and I've initiated all kinds of interesting art projects in the climate related water, public sculpture, kind of it's you know, it's it's renewed. This is a great period time in life, Celine, to to get involved with competitions. I mean, it gives you a target, you work towards it and you accomplish something, you know, you got deadlines. Uh, and if you fulfill it, okay, I'm a bit of an exception. I just had opportunities and people around me knew um, things I could aim for and were really helpful. So I'm a bit of an outlier, I suppose, in extremes, but you never know. Well, I, you know, I've read um, that your your mantra has been sort of, if you take a step, the bridge will appear. And I'm certainly hearing that throughout this conversation and what you just said. Um do you feel like that that is that you're living that right now? You've got to have faith and trust in yourself. Yeah, you 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 your your relationship with yourself primarily and then from that I think everything else hopefully uh it it just it, it amplifies this trust and you you know, and it, it moves out into your wider kind of life. And you hopefully follow the path that feels right for you in the moment. Okay, you're, I'm still, you know, mitigating for work and all these. It's not like I've completely thrown caution to the winds. So there's a certain <laughs> amount of balance in what I'm doing. But I'll go back, you know, to to, to Ireland and I'll um, continue on with my projects. And I'm, my projects are ongoing here. I can work kind of remotely on my art stuff and and other things initiate them but yeah you've yeah it's um it's the it's it's the most important thing your relationship with yourself and whatever you have to do to nourish and encourage yourself along the way and then there is a certain sense of excitement in not knowing what's going to happen next and that that's that's the added spice so how far can I go with this? You know, how deep can I go? Can I go out there and put another two or three meters on my dive tomorrow? Am I ready for that? Like, and you just go, yeah, well, fucking, we're going to try it. It's the worst that can happen. You know, try a new thing. Step outside your comfort zone. In in any aspect of your life, talk to somebody. Get outside your shyness sphere. But your body is your primary tool in all of this. So to cultivate um, an a, a, a positive energetic relationship with yourself and if that's with your own dancing by yourself singing this reciprocal kind of nature of this beautiful planet around us you know it's a great privilege to be alive and especially in our 50s where and being able to take control of things you know there's something of a kind of a secret kind of way forward this women's group kind of i don't know no there's just this power in it there really is there really and, is and, and i think that's a that's a good place to wrap this up i i yeah <laughs> the support of other chicks as well they're going through the same thing you know <laughs> yeah i mean that's why we're here you know yeah. is there is there anything i mean you i do think that that was the the perfect way to to conclude the conversation but i i is there anything that you would like to convey that we haven't that we haven't talked about um no not really i hear you mountain bike i used to race bmx's in the 80s 
<laughs> nice. We've got some uh, just fluidity and mood. I, I keep using these watery metaphors, but just finding joy in movement. And even if it's walking, but paying this meditative attention to the power of your body, because we've got to um, we've got to keep this going. You know, this is, as I just keep saying, this is our primary instrument of perception for this world. And it's a primary medium for interfacing with everything that we do. And then to hone that in, tweak it and try to improve on our systems, um, just even just for the joy of it, I think. There's a lot to be said for it. Uh, and even if it's something that can't be explained in language, because it has to be practiced, it's just to go out and move your body. Well, that's our show. Come on back next week for my conversation with ultra running phenom Camille Heron, who is smashing world records during perimenopause and is here to tell us how. So come on back for that one. And until then, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause. And please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends. And please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening. And as always, stay feisty. Feisty.